as we conclude our Advent series, and you're thinking, Advent, wait a minute, Advent is over, it's been over for a couple of weeks, you extended it last week, what are you thinking? Well, it seems fitting, especially with the season we're in, to extend it one more week, and the series we were working through to extend it one more week. So, I mean, just think, think, if, if you think through this for just a moment, we're a people who move on. We hit a date on a calendar and we move on. Decorations are down. The, the, the stuff, the trappings, all the stuff, it's gone, right? Like we're ready to move forward. But man, the themes of Advent, when you think about what Advent is about, hope, peace, love, joy, like th- those are things we want all year long, right? The way we find them is walking in Christ, which was our last, last week's theme, uh, and, and it is, again, this week. I told you it was a two-part series. We're going to be back there this, this, this week because it, it, it seems to me, like everywhere around us right now, people are looking to be new as a result of the calendar changing over, right? So near, new year, new you. You've heard that said, right? At least once, probably, this, this year. This, this, yeah, this year, in the last two days. New year, new you. You've probably heard it leading up to it. Because calendar hits. Oh, man, now we've got the motivation we need to get new. To be new, to, to add something to life, to, to, to make ourselves better. Well, how's that working out? <laughs> it happens every year. People put it on the calendars. They plan for things. They t- pick up new disciplines, new habits, or strive to pick up these new habits. Some people succeed, but the vast majority fail. And they end up in the same cycle they were in before the new year hit. So it seemed fitting, as a people who long to walk in hope, who, who, who want to walk in peace, who want to walk in the joy of knowing their Savior, who want to walk in love, and who know that the only way we get that is to walk in Christ, it seemed fitting to just take some time, one last time, one last opportunity before we jump into a new series and talk about what it is to walk in Christ, because we all know we're, we're people of this culture. We, we live here. We all likely we all have this idea that, oh, the new year is here. And we're going to we're going to start something new Bible reading plan. I'm going to get in that and start it and my daily prayer time. I'm going to get in and have a quiet time and I'm going to sign up for this class and I'm going to do these things. And it seems like a good time to start this new stuff. That stuff's not going to matter if you've not already been made new. A new year will not make a new you. Walking in Christ is what makes a new you. We're going to deal with that. We're going to talk about that. We're going to look at it. We're going to be back in Ephesians chapter 2 this week. We looked at Ephesians 1 last week. We're in Ephesians because it seems that, that Paul purposefully and, and, and actually very relevantly in this, in this particular letter contrasts what we used to be outside of Christ, comparing it to what we are and what we're able to do now that we're in Christ. And so just in saying that, I want you to recognize already, I am, this, this message this morning is primarily going to be applicable to people who are already Christian. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm not going to feel bad about this because that's this letter is written to Christian people. But that doesn't mean that if you're listening to me online or if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, that there's not something for you. 
The reality is, is that we all have to start with faith in Christ. We're going to see that. We're going to see it emphasized again this week. But for the Christian, already having faith in Christ, there is a way in which we are called to live now that we are no longer outside of Christ, now, now that we are in Christ, that we move from the position of outside to inside, and now that position brings with it a practice. And so that's what we're going to be dealing with. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1. We're really going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, but the main focus is really through the beginning and end of that passage, 1, 3, and 8, 10. But, I mean, it's so good, and it's God's word. We need to just read all of those verses. So that's what we're going to do. So here we are, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that sounds pretty hopeless, right? That's, that's, that's trouble. We, we are dead and we are trapped. We are following after the world, the, the, the devil and our own, the passions of our own flesh. That seems pretty hopeless. But verse 4 begins with a great contrast. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. Whew. I was dead, I was child of wrath, but now in Christ I've been saved, raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Positionally, in position, I am in Christ Jesus. Right? We're, that's where we are found, in faith, by faith, in Christ Jesus. That's where we're at. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father... This is your word. <laughs> I just would ask that you would bear the fruit that you intend to bear through it. That you would call those who have not yet trusted in you, those who have trusted in some form of religion, and even those who are striving to walk in and follow after you in Christ, that you would call us closer to yourself. That you would uh, save those who are not yet saved and convict us of sin in our salvation, so that we can continue to walk in the good works that you've set, ahead of, set, set, set aside for us to do. Help us, Father. I, I pray that in my, in my own weaknesses and in my own imperfections and my own inability to communicate all that this passage has to say, I, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you'd work beyond that and that you would do a work in the hearts of these people today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here, if you think back to last, last week, we read in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, and I showed you that every blessing given by God is given in Christ. Every blessing given by God is given in Christ, so to the glory of God, 
We receive his blessings by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you weren't here last week or if you didn't listen to the sermon on the internet, then you're just going to have to take my word for it. But I would encourage you, go back and look at that. It's the scripture's there. It teaches us that, that every blessing given by God is given in Christ. So to the glory of God, we receive his blessings by faith in Christ. It's, it's all about what we believe. And, and, and this theme continues in this passage. In fact, that's the overarching theme of all the first three chapters of this uh, of this letter to the church, that, that, that God's given us blessings in Christ that we receive by faith. And you can see that theme again. You can see that theme continue here. In verses 1 through 3, we were dead. We were powerless. We were without life. We could do nothing like dead. But how else do you describe death but death? You can't move. You can't, you can't affect any change. You can't do anything. You're powerless. You're without life. Now, the thing is, is that every one of us are walking around, breathing, making choices, making decisions, living life. No no one thinks, oh, I'm dead apart from Christ. But Paul essentially is is equating our spiritual death with, uh, illustrating it with the idea of what we understand death to be, powerlessness and without life. We were in bondage, he says, in verses 1 through 3. We were following after the course of the world, this language about bondage. We were trapped in it. We couldn't deviate from it, following after the course of the world, following after the prince of the power of the air, that's the world, the flesh, and or, or the world, the devil, and the flesh, among whom we all once lived, this is every one of us, we all once lived here in the passions of our flesh, and so we've got the world, the flesh, and the devil that are just consuming us and directing us and, and driving us in our nature as children of Wrath, again, sounds very hopeless. That's where we all were, outside of Christ. That's descriptive of every person who has ever lived, except for Jesus, and descriptive of every person who will ever live. It's just the reality. It's where we're at. But in verses 4 through 7, we begin to see a contrast, and we begin to see the hope of God. We begin to see a, a, a way in which he's going to provide peace. We, we find reason to rejoice And we see his love exemplified in his work to make us alive. God made us alive. We had nothing to do with it. We couldn't do anything to do it. If you look at 4 through 7, this is all God's work, right? He is the one that's making us alive. He is the one that's enabling us to be living. That's what Paul is teaching us. And then Verse 8 through 10 kind of summarizes for us, but also then shows us a greater contrast. Verse 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved. This is a verse that most Christians would be very familiar with. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's God's gracious work that you've received through faith, but not even that can we take credit for, because even that's a gift of God. His grace, his saving grace, his faith, our faith, it's all a gift of God. That, that's, that phrase is connected to both of those, I think, both of those phrases. This not your own doing, it's the gift of God. This is God's work, not a result of work so that no one can boast. We can't boast about it. We can't walk around, puff up our chest and be proud about it because we didn't do anything to affect that change. We are his workmanship. He's done this work. We, are, we have been worked on. We have been radically changed. We've been radically formed. The, the Greek is beautiful here. It's, it's the word poema. So, so there's a, like work, a, a work of art. 
Uh, but, but, but he did this work in Christ Jesus. So you can, I, I think you can see this theme from last week carrying over. Every blessing given by God is given in Christ. So to the glory of God, we receive his blessings by faith in Christ. You can see that theme carry over. But now he adds to it. He builds off of it and, and begins to prepare us for what's going to happen in the second half of the letter in chapters 4 through 6. Look at what he says in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is a direct contrast to what he said we were in verse 1 and we were able to do in verse 1. Look again, verse 1 of chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The way you walked, the way you lived, you were dead. Your life expressed the death that was true about you. But in Christ, you are his workmanship. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Not for more sin and trespasses. Not, 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 not for going your own way, following after the course of the world, following after the prince of the power of the air that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Not to, to run after the passions of your own flesh, but for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God gave us life in Christ so that we could walk in life like Christ, preparing us to do the good works he prepared for us. God gave us life in Christ that we could walk in life like Christ, preparing us to do the good works he prepared for us. Last week, our focus was on what God had done And we receive by faith, right? Positionally, in Christ, we are chosen, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's what the text said. This week, now that we're in Christ, we recognize that we are alive and we've been made able and responsible to do the very things he's created us to do. Everyone's responsible to do the things that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But only those who have been made alive in Christ are actually able to accomplish them to the glory of God, the good of his people, and to see the advancement of his gospel. God gave us life in Christ so that we could walk in life like Christ, preparing us to do the good works he prepared for us. We do these good works. We do these good works because we've been made alive in Christ, not to become alive in Christ. We've got to recognize the nuance of that. We've got to recognize the distinction of that. A lot of people want to put the second half of Ephesians first, and they're going to say, oh, I've got to go do these good things. That's the religion. And we are surrounded by people who live this fundamentalist, this, this legalistic tendency, I'm going to go do these good things so God will love me, so God will make me alive, so God will save me. That won't work. You must be made alive in Christ first. And having been made alive in Christ, then you're able to do the things that God has created you and made you responsible to do. We do these good works because we've been made alive in Christ, not to become alive in Christ. Remember, we were dead. That's where we started. That's outside of Christ. That's who we were. Dead, following the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, the, the, the passions of the flesh, children of wrath. 
but God makes us alive. God makes us able to walk in this way. So, so outside of Christ, we walk one way. Inside of Christ, we're able and responsible to walk another way. And why is this fitting for this New Year's Day, this first sermon in the new year? Because the world is out there seeking all this change, trying to be better, trying to be new, trying to improve upon themselves. Some, as I mentioned, some will, some will succeed. Some are going to quit smoking. Some are actually going to lose weight. Some are going to eat healthier and exercise more. Some, well, I don't know, read more, learn something new, take up a new hobby. Some will do that. But the vast majority of people who set out with these, this idea that a calendar year, a new year is going to make a new, new you, the vast majority fail. And I'm certain of this. That even those who set out thinking that they'll finally find love, joy, happiness, peace, whatever it is that they're searching for and becoming new, if it's quitting smoking, they're still going to be dissatisfied. If it's losing weight, they're still going to be unhappy with themselves in some way. If it's eating healthier or they're still not or exercising, there's still going to be problems in their body, and they're going to be living in a world that is radically broken and filled with hopelessness and angry at every turn. And why will any of it have mattered? That seems pretty hopeless. But God, being rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Now skip down a little bit. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what he has done. Because he's done it, we can now do what we've been called to do. We can now do these good works. We can now be these new people. We can now progress and improve and grow. The way to a new you is not found in a new year, but in Christ. And Paul's here to tell us he tells us, and he makes it very clear that, that what's wrong with us can't be fixed by anything but God's blessing in Christ. But once you've placed your faith in him, the work that he's done to, to save you in Christ, to make you alive, will begin to transform you. It'll begin to change you. You will become new, not because you tried to be new, but because you were made new. And having been made new, you'll have this new way in which you want to live and walk. Boy, it'd be nice if that new desire and that new perspective and that new motivation would make everything easy. And it would mean that we could work it out all perfectly. If you've been a Christian for more than a five, five or ten minutes, you know that's probably not true. But in Christ, we've been made able to walk in these ways. So what are the good works that Paul is saying God prepared for us to do? What are these good works? So here's, we're going to move fast through the rest of the book of Ephesians. We're going to do this chapter 4 through verse, or chapter 6. We're going to hit some highlights. And so I'm going to have a few verses on the screen. But I would encourage you, if you've not already opened your Bible, get a Bible in front of you and open it to Ephesians chapter 4. Because we're going to hit these things pretty quickly. We're going to talk about what surrounds the individual verses. And I think it would be good for you to be able to see this stuff in the scripture and not just depend on me to tell it to you. So 
So, so what are these good works? Paul generally refers to them in Ephesians chapter 2. You've been saved to do good works, right? Like that's why God saved you. He saved you so that you could go do these good works. Not the only reason he saved you, actually. It's actually really beautiful. I, I, I just feel like I ought to call it out. You were saved by grace and have been seated and raised up with him. That's Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly places so that. This is another reason that God saved you. So that. He could, he, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So, so there's this beautiful perspective that, that God has graced you with salvation for the very purpose of the coming age and the life to come, the eternal life, that he could grace you even more. If you think it's great that you're alive and you're saved in this life, wait till heaven. He's graced you with salvation so that he could give you even greater grace in Christ Jesus in the age to come. We've got so much to look forward to. This passage is so filled with hope. That's why I long for you to walk in Christ because this is the way that we experience the grace and peace and hope and love and joy of God. This is it. So what are these good works that we've been called to do as we wait to enter into eternal life? First, Ephesians 4.1, in Christ we have been prepared to walk worthy. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, this is Paul writing to his readers, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Christ, we have been prepared to walk worthy. We have been prepared to do the good work of walking worthy of his call. Now imagine... Imagine the weight that's on a person sitting and listening to some preacher preach and say, you must be worthy of salvation so God can save you. You you, you see what damage that can do. He's saying, because all that I've written in chapters 1 through 3 are true, I urge you, As one who knows what it is to suffer for this. As one who knows what it is to give his life for this. As one who knows what it is to be uh, oppressed and and persecuted because of this. I, I urge you, he says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Christ, we've been prepared to do the good work of walking worthy of his call. It's only in Christ that we're prepared for this. That we're made able to no longer walk unworthily, right? Walking in sins and trespasses, that's from chapter 2, verse 1, but to walk worthy. Well, what does it look like to walk worthy? To, to, to walk and live and act like Jesus Christ. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, verse 2, with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And if you go back into Ephesians 1 through 3, you see that all of those are provided and enacted and, and, and performed first by Jesus Christ. He's the humble one. He's the gentle one. He's the one who, 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 who through God is born with us in love. He's the long-suffering. He's, he's the patient one. And it's through him that we have peace with God and peace with one another. The, the idea of walking worthy is to walk like Jesus, to act like him, to be humble, thinking of ourselves second, considering others' needs more significant than our own. We're going to see that in Philippians chapter 2 when we get into that study next, this year. <laughs> to, to be gentle, 
If our life is marked by being an overbearing jerk, and we're saying that we're following after Christ, we need to check ourselves. To be gentle. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't be strong. doesn't mean that we can't be firm. doesn't mean that we can't. But if we are overbearing jerks and hard, heavy-handed people, if we won't suffer alongside one another, if we won't be patient with one another, the, I, the, the word, I actually like the word in the King James better, few places that I like that, but, but the word in the King James as they translate it into English is long-suffering. This isn't just the idea of I, I got to wait in a line to get something I'm wanting. This means I got to deal with people who are difficult to deal with for a long time. I'm not the only one that has to do that. I get that. You have to deal with me. I have to deal with you. We all have to deal with one another, right? Like that's the reality. We've got this long suffering with one another, bearing with one another in love, coming out of this idea of being patient with one another, suffering along with one another. We bear with one another. We endure one another, right? We're not bearing one another's burdens here. We're bearing with one another here in love maintaining the peace. We don't make the peace. We maintain the peace. So we're not trying to be Christ. We're not trying to displace Christ. We're just trying to walk like Christ and maintain the peace that he's made for us. And he goes on. He he builds out that idea even further, and he shows us how we've been equipped by God with everything we need for ministry, and then we're calling others to equip someone else for ministry, and we're equipped and equipped, uh, we're equipped and called to be equipping others for maturity. If you look at verses 7, uh, we, we just pick it up in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the... Oh, that's verse, that's chapter 3, sorry. Step back into the right chapter. So that in the coming ages... Gosh, that's chapter 2. I need chapter 4. Whoo, slow down. Chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's given us everything, right? He's given us grace of salvation, and he's given us this grace according to the measure of Christ's gift that he's going to come down, he's going to show us, is intended to be used in ministry. He gave the apostles, the prophets, this is verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He has given you everything you need. He has equipped you with the spiritual gifts of grace, and he has equipped you with leaders to help equip you to apply those gifts in life. You have what you need to be the ministers he's called you to be. You have what you need to walk worthy of his calling and fulfill his calling. You have it. Well, I don't know if I feel like I have it. Well, let us help you do that. That's one of the reasons we're trying to do what we do with the equip ministry is that you get the knowledge that you need so that you can believe the truth of the scripture so that you can apply that truth in life There's not a person in our church that shouldn't be involved in our equip ministry. None have an excuse, have a right, have have the ability to step back and say, I don't need those studies, I need another one. God gave you your pastors who pray over what classes we offer to equip you, the saints, for the ministry. And he's given you a spiritual gift. If you're a member of the body of Christ in this local congregation, you should be involved. Well, you know, I've... I've had all those classes. I don't, I don't need that class. I, I, I know all that stuff. Good. Come. Enter into the discussion and help other people learn it. Well, I should be the teacher or I, sh- I, I, you know, I, I just got other stuff to do. 
We're going to deal with that in a minute. Because it should be about building up the body as opposed to just coming and get what you need. But we are called to equip and equip. Be, we're called to be equipped and we're called to equip others for ministry. This is what it looks like to walk worthy. And we're to be equipped and equipping for maturity. He's given us everything we need to grow up in this way. He's given us the leaders. He's given us the grace to, to grow up in the ministry. If you follow it on down into verse 8. to uh, Man, I'm back in chapter 3. I keep skipping over. I don't know what I'm thinking. Until we all attain. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until, listen to this. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Every one of us, every last one of us have been given what we need to be equipped for ministry. And every one of us have been given what we need to be equipped to mature. He's given us all we need. Some of us, and eventually all of us, are responsible to help equip others for ministry and maturity. This is what it looks like to walk worthy of the call, to fulfill the call he's placed on each and every one of us. And we quit doing it, not when we think we've arrived. Like, oh, I'm, I'm far enough. I've got enough. I, I, I know enough. I believe enough, and I do enough. That's what spiritual maturity is, knowing, believing, and doing. It's not just having the right knowledge or having the right practice. It's all of those together, knowing, believing, doing. But when the whole church, right? Like, it, it, it's, it's a failure of the American church that, that we have sought to make this all about consumption. You come, now I'm not saying so much you, generally speaking, Americans come to church for what they can get. And they measure a church off of what it has to offer them as individuals. If you're there, I'm not saying you shouldn't get something out of the church. That's not what I'm suggesting. But he's calling us to practice this together so that we don't come to church to see what we can get because we've been given everything we need, every, everything we need for life and godliness, as Peter says, or we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, as it says in Ephesians 1. We've been given all we need by Christ. So now we come to see what we have to offer. Think about how different our equipped classes would look if people quit taking them simply so they could get something for themselves to go on about their own personal life. But they took them so that as they give of their own maturity and, and they do their own ministry, they're also gaining from others. Because I'm going to hazard a guess, there's nobody in this room that's reached mature manhood and the fullness of the measure of Christ. I've taken some of these, I've read through some of these books, I've taken some of these classes three, four, five times. There's one we're offering next term, Gospel-Centered Life. It's a series on the gospel. There's three different resources we're going to walk through. I've read through that probably 12 or 13 times. And every time I walk through that with somebody, I'm blessed by it. I can continue to learn. I continue to be matured. I continue to see how, how, how I don't fully believe and trust in the gospel. In some way, I'm still mixed in with all my belief is still unbelief. We're seeking to, to not just tell you what to think, but teach you how to think. That's why we're doing a class on Christian ethics. Like so much of the struggles we're having in the world, people are out there just looking for, just tell me what to think. 
We're, we're seeking to train people not just what to think, but how to think about these things, how to think biblically about this stuff. And if there's anybody in this room that believes they've got it all figured out and can't gain some blessing or benefit from participating with other believers in this process, then I'd say you need to go back to verse 1 of chapter 4 or verse 2 of chapter 4 and talk, look at humility again. Look at what we're called to do to, to, sure, to ensure that the body of Christ matures and the body of Christ is equipped and ready to do the work of ministry. In Christ, this is the good work, one of the good works we've been prepared to walk in, to walk worthy, right? So that's one. We've got more to do. We've got to keep moving. In Christ, second, in Christ we've been prepared to walk as a new people, Ephesians 4.17. So if you just follow this chapter down, we come to this, this verse, Ephesians 4.17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Futility of their minds. In Christ, another good work we've been prepared to do, another good work that's been prepared for us is to walk as a new people. This, this idea, that, this idea that, that there is a new year and so a new you. New year, new you. New year, new you. That's a lie. It's futile. And next year it's going to be the same lie and it's going to be just as futile. And people are going to be just as dissatisfied and just as unhappy. And their life is going to be filled with fruitlessness and futility, profitlessness. They want to know how in the world do I fix the problems? How do I... How do I find satisfaction? How do I find joy? How do I find the peace that I long for? How do I find hope in the midst of all this hopelessness? And Paul here tells us, walk as a new people. In Christ, walk like you're actually in him. Put off the old. Take it off like it's a suit that you used to wear and put on the new. Put on him. Put on Christ, if you follow that passage through, picking up in verse 17, you're going to see that, they're, that the old way, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart, they're callous, giving themselves up to sensuality, greed, practice of every kind of impurity. This may not be evident in the life of every person outside of Christ that we know. I mean, I, I have lots of non-Christian friends. But somewhere down in their heart, this is true of every last one of us outside of Christ. But, here again, that contrast, verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Put him on. Live like Christ. This is the good work that God has prepared you to do. He's made you alive in Christ so that you can walk in life, that you can live your life like Christ. Christ. We put off the old, we put on the new. That's where we find fruitfulness. That's where we begin to be productive and and see the things that we long for being produced in our life. We, We become a blessing to people rather than having to consume from people. Look look at verses 25 and and, and forward. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. In Christ, we're finally able to be proclaimers of truth. Not, not, not truth like based off of the sky's blue or the, the, the world is round. Not, not that kind of truth. The, the truth that actually brings and produces life. 
Be angry and do not sin. So instead of getting angry and seeking revenge, you can actually not sin against somebody else while you're angry. You give no opportunity for the devil. Remember, he's at work in the sense of disobedience. Remember that from chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, 1 through 3. And this is one of my favorites in verse 28. Because it's such a clear distinction. Let the thief no longer steal. So the thief is consuming, robbing, taking, only thinking of self, robbing from everybody. Let the thief no longer steal. What's it say? But let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. And here's what's cool. He doesn't say, so that he may have something to eat and give his family. He says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The idea is is that you quit consuming off of everyone and you become a productive, fruitful member of the body so that as you live your life, you become a benefit to people rather than a consumer of people. That you become a blessing to rather than a burden for someone. In Christ, we have been prepared to walk as these new people. If you just stop for a second, just consider all of this. There's, there's a way in which generally we can begin to see this, this theme that's, that's actually working out across these, these verses. We're doing this all to the glory of God. We can't boast. Remember that. This is God's glory being revealed in us. It's benefiting others, for, so it's for the good of others. And as we become people who proclaim the truth and who with our language build up rather than tear down, we, we become a people who see the gospel advance. In the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we all still need it. And in those who don't yet know Christ. As we exemplify it in practice and in action among us, our words then ring true because the fruit of it's being shown in our lives together. These are the good works to to walk worthy of the call, to to walk as new people, to to the glory of God, the good of his people, and and the advancement of his gospel. But we're not done. In Christ, we've been prepared to walk in love, Ephesians 5.2. We keep on going, Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love. It's pretty straightforward. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And, and, And this passage is actually connected to the same thing we were looking at before, and it builds out, and, and it's kind of a, a pivot. It's a kind of a hinge point building into the next thought. But the idea is to build up rather than tear down. With our words, we love people. And rather than speak corrupting words, we speak beneficial words. With our service, we're, we're like Christ. We, we sacrifice of ourselves to do good to others. We serve selflessly. And, and like Christ, we forgive full, freely and fully. That's tough. That's difficult stuff. But in Christ, you've been equipped with what you need to walk worthy of this call, to to be this new person. In Christ, you have been prepared to do the good work of walking in love. So that rather than coming simply to consume and to feed self and to live according to your own passions of your own flesh, you can come to be a blessing. You can come and participate in the church because you love people. Certainly, I hope you're loved. Certainly, you should be loved. If everybody's about the business of walking in love, there should be no one in the body of Christ that's not loved as they seek to love like Christ. 
sometimes we're sitting around trying to figure out how we get loved rather than just coming and trying to figure out how to love others. And we think, oh, well, you know, they didn't do enough. And I hear it all the time. It's, it, it, it's never, it's never a, a, person, a person's own fault when they decide to leave the church. When, when, when people leave a church, not just ours, any church, it's always something the other church didn't do. They didn't call me enough. They didn't follow up. I haven't heard from anybody for years. Did you call anybody? Did you participate? Were you there? Were you serving in the ministry teams? Were you, were you participating in the class? Were you participating in the, the flow and rhythm of life? Were you giving of yourself to ensure the body was loved? Were, were you doing what you could do? I'm not saying the church doesn't fail in those ways. Absolutely, the church does. Ours fails in that way. Others fail in that way. But I wonder how different it would be if everyone came looking to be loved, trusting they've been perfectly loved in Christ. Or, or, I'm sorry, let me say that different. If everyone came looking to love others the way they've been loved in Christ, knowing that they are perfectly loved by him. That we have a never-ending, unexhaustible, inexhaustible supply of love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, this is the way we've been prepared to walk in love towards others. In, 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 next, in Christ, we've been prepared to walk in the light, Ephesians 5, 8. We keep going down into this chapter a little bit further, and it says, Ephesians 5, 8, For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light. Again, you see the contrast. Who you were? You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light. In Christ, we've been prepared to do the good work of walking in the light, pleasing to the Lord. If you follow that passage through just a little bit further, you'll see that, that Paul's calling us to understand, discern the will of God, to, to do things that are pleasing to him and not practice or participate in things that are dark. Uh, not deceiving others and not being deceived by others. Again, speaking truth and, and un- being able to discern truth. No longer under the influence of the world or the enemy. That's, that, that's what he's talking about in this passage. Practically, that, this just, it, it works out. I think this is a good time to hit this. It, it works out. There, there really are things in our lives that as Christians, we need to stop doing we're not permitted to do because they are sin. Sexual immorality, affirming sexual immorality, right? Robbing, thieving, stealing. We're not, uh, there's no way that we can do those things. Oh, I'm going to steal to the glory of God. You, you can't. He just told you you can't. You can't do that. So, 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 so there are some things that just inherently they are sinful from the very beginning. From the moment that they are, that they are uh, drummed up inside our hearts and in our minds, they are sinful desires that they need to be dealt with immediately. We need to take those thoughts captive. We need to redirect those desires to, to a greater desire, to a better desire. They've got to stop. And the reality is that in the church today, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm not standing up here as somebody who's got this all figured out or has it. It just lives a perfect life, and I don't, I don't want to pretend to be that. But man, we are so guilty of sitting down and laughing at the things that Jesus died for, being entertained by the things that sent him to the cross, listening to music that glorifies the stuff 
singing along, not thinking anything of it. The first time I realized how clear this was, was, oh man, this is years and years ago. I got my sons, Amy and I got, our, got, got the boys uh, uh, guitar here. No, it was rock band because they had a microphone and I was the rock star. I was the lead singer of the band. And I started singing the lyrics to these songs that I grew up singing. Woo, man. There's no, they weren't wholesome songs. <laughs> I, I, the, the one that's sticking out in my head now is She's My Cherry Pie. I don't know if you've thought of that song lately or listened to that song lately. Boy, I sing that song with my kids. And one is playing drums, one is playing a guitar. And I'm like, what? This is what this song says? We bring it in and we pump it into our homes. We, we feast on it in our social media. I'm guilty. I, I know it. There's things that, that in this new life, we need to quit walking in trying to keep a foot in the darkness and, and trying to continue, continue to participate in these things because we think it makes us relevant. Walk in the light. Don't participate in these things, but let your light expose, expose them. Let, them let, let the light that's on you expose the reality of the darkness that's around us. That's what he's calling us to. To be a people who, who actually participate blamelessly and holy, but blameless and holy, as he says in chapter one. That's the idea. In fact, he's going to say it here in just a second. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed in the light, it becomes visible. He's calling us to, to be a people who expose the, the evil, sinful ways of the world and to no longer participate in the things like sexual immorality, covetousness, and greed, and filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking. But those are things that shouldn't even be mentioned among us. In Christ, we've been prepared to walk in the light. This is what it is to do the good works of God, to walk in the light and as you look at this new, new year, there's things in your life, there's things in my life that we just need to say, that's the darkness. And i got to stop that. And in Christ, I've been prepared to walk away from it and to walk in the light. In Christ, we've been prepared to walk wisely. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of time because the days are evil. See, there's a reality. that There's some things in our lives that aren't inherently evil. It's not inherently evil to sit down and watch a television show or watch a movie or listen to music on the radio. It's not inherently evil to participate in things in the world. It's not, you know, you go, go on vacation, go to Silver Dollar City, go, go play, go have fun, go, go, you know, do those things, participate in social media. It's not inherently evil that we do these things. He's calling us to walk wisely in these things that aren't inherently evil. Set priorities because the days are evil, right? Like there, there's a reality for, well, let me get back to it. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the, what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He tells us make that make the best use of Time, set priorities. Well, I'm going to say this, and I know this hits close to home to a lot of us. There's many of us that know more about what's going on in the culture 
then we know what the Bible says. There's many of us that can say, quote more lines from movies or TV shows or have lyrics of songs floating around in our head than we do verses of the Bible. There's many of us that talk about, I'm too busy to pray. I just don't have time to pray. Well, gosh, if you're that busy, how do you get through life without praying? Like, that's, the, that's what he's saying. And I get it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not standing here. This person's got it all figured out. I'm a person who's learning that prayer is way more powerful than me doing anything. I've been learning that the last couple of years, actually. Growing in that. I'm too busy not to pray. I got to get up and get my day started. I got to get to work. How do you do that? How do we do that? By starting in the Word, in time and prayer. How, 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 how do we prioritize everything but that? He's going to deal with this in just a moment. He's going to deal with husbands and wives and parents and children. And it's striking to me that we live in a world, we live in an American church culture, not so much ours, not just ours. Probably there's some of this that people wrestle with. But we wonder why our kids leave church after we've raised them not to prioritize the things of the Lord. We run them around to all the events, we prioritize the Sports, the, the dance, the, the, the and, I, and those, again, those aren't inherently bad. We prioritize the parties that we go to. We prioritize the events of life that happen. And then New Year's Eve comes. New Year's Day comes. And church falls on the day after New Year's Eve. You guys get the brownie points for this. I'm not trying to be condemning. I know there's reason. Life happens. I I understand that. There's a lot of people that just chose not to be here today because it's a holiday. There's a lot of people who come to church and participate in the life of the church on a a three-week rhythm. I'll get there in a couple weeks. I got stuff these two weeks. You know, last last week was Christmas. And again, don't don't hear me condemning. I'm just observing and, and recognizing that there's a lot of stuff in this. There's a lot of different factors, a lot of different facets. The last week, the day after Christmas, there's like 15 people here to celebrate the birth of our Savior. We prioritized other things than being with God's people in his house. Now, again, I'm not, hear me. If you weren't here, you have a good reason. I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm just, just, we got to balance this stuff. May not have been a sinful choice. But was it a wise choice? I don't know because I didn't make the choice for you. And I don't know the circumstances surrounding your choice. But he says we got to prioritize the time because the days are evil. We've got to walk in wisdom. And in Christ, we've been prepared to walk wisely in this way. In Christ, we've been prepared. To walk in the good work of living wise. And to be filled with the Spirit. To be influenced by Him. And, and the idea of being filled with the Spirit, it's, it's actually it's such a neat, neat thing He does here. He commands us to do something we're powerless to actually fulfill. To be filled with the Spirit. You cannot make the Spirit fill you. 
But the language is like the wind that fills a sail. And you do have the ability to turn your sail, the life, your life, as being the sail, you have the ability to turn it into the wind or wrap it up and keep it close to the mast so it doesn't catch any wind. Right? That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to be wise, to be filled up with the Spirit so that we can understand the will of the Lord and live in the will of the Lord so that we can fulfill the call he's given us, so that we can walk in love, so that we can live as these new people and we can walk wisely in this way to be filled up with the Spirit so that we're not overindulging in the things of the world and we are indulging as much as we possibly can in the things of the Lord. So we open the sails of our life by being wise and prioritizing our time. In Christ, we've been prepared to walk wisely in this way. In Christ, we've been prepared. This is the last one you'll be glad to hear. In Christ, we've been prepared to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, I want you to notice. Here we go. We go. We've been been walking, walking this way, living this way, living this way. And then we come to this last one in Ephesians chapter 6. And he calls us to do these things in Christ so that we can stand firm as we continue to walk in Christ. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We've been freed from the passions of our flesh. We are no longer living under the influence of the world the way that we used to outside of Christ. But man, the enemy, the, the devil, he is still a formidable enemy. And we need to put on Christ every day. We need to put on this full spiritual armor so that we can stand as we strive to walk in Christ, so that we can stand firm. That's the idea. And if you walk through the, 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 the individual components of the spiritual armor, you'll find that it's all the spiritual blessings that we've been given in Christ. It's not real armor. It's all the spiritual blessings. Peace, salvation, righteousness, all, all these things that we've been given by God's grace in Christ. And so, so, so in Christ, we have been prepared to do the good work of standing firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, as we look to this new year and as we close out this first sermon of this new year, I, I hope I didn't make you so mad that you tuned out a while back. But some of us, do, we, we, we need... Some of us need to quit depending so much on our own efforts, doing our own good works, because because we can't do that apart from Christ. Some of us need to quit depending so much on our own efforts so that we can do these good works because we've been been made alive in Christ, not to become alive in Christ. We need to look and see how... How, how, how much rest there is in just knowing that as I trust in him positionally, I am in him. I am seated in the heavenly realms with him. I was dead, but now I am alive. And so instead of all this religious effort trying to earn my place, I can find rest in knowing that in him I am alive. Some of you need to stop believing in yourself altogether, in your doubts, in, in, in you becoming a new person because it's a new year, and, and just begin believing, just the very beginning of believing that 
in Jesus and Jesus alone, salvation is found. I have no doubt that someone, I, I am confident that there are people, even in a room this size, there are people who don't yet believe that Jesus is Lord. The only way to a new you is faith in him. By grace, we are saved. Through faith. This not of ourselves. No one can boast. I can't boast. No one can boast. Trust in him. And others of us, as we look into this new year, others of us, as we're believing and striving to walk in Christ already, we need to find the things that we need to stop doing so that we can begin doing the things, the very good works that God has called us to do. Whether that's walking more worthy, whether that's walking in a manner that's worthy, whether that's, whether that's walking at more, more mature as that new person, whether that's walking in wisdom more fully, whether that's walking in love more completely, whether that is walking or just standing against the schemes of the devil more intently, whatever it is, putting off the old and putting on the new, standing there in Christ. As you look at this new, ne next year, though, let me encourage you. Whatever it is you need to stop doing, don't start doing something because it makes God love you more. God has loved you in Christ. Start doing it. Start pursuing it. Start walking in it. Because God gave us life in Christ so that we could walk like, like Christ in life. And he has prepared us to do these good works. Let's pray.